Okay, folks. Hey, we are uh, starting a, a little bit of a series talking about learning from leaders. And if you've got your handout, talk about set the tone in the workplace with uh, Donnie Smith, the president and CEO of Tyson Foods. Let me tell you where I'm, uh, where I'm going on this. The, um, uh, just over the summer and, and had opportunity to, whether it be reading or, or hearing different speakers, um, we, uh, began to hear some guys and read about and some ladies that, uh, really had some good things to say about leadership. So for about the first, uh, few months, take us all the way to December, we're going to talk about just learning from leaders. And one of them is Donnie Smith. I heard him speak at a conference. I was just blown away. This guy was full of energy. Uh, it's just an amazing story. He was, uh, at, he graduated from University of Tennessee and he went to work for Tyson Foods back in 1980 in their poultry operations. After seven years of Tennessee, he then got moved to Arkansas, which is where the headquarters, uh, are located. And he just worked his way up. And in 2009, he became the CEO. And, uh, he's, a, he's outgoing. He's got great philosophies of life and leadership and is just a strong believer. And so he's very unashamed when he talks about his faith and how that impacts his leadership and his work. So what I wanted to do was just take some insights from a talk that he gave and see if we can apply this to where we are, to where you are in life and to where we are in our particular businesses. So if you've got your hand out here, let's just go right through this. Um, one of the things that he mentioned is that we spend one third of our life at work. You think about that. You spend one third of your life at work. And so if you're going to spend one third of your life at work, then you need to make it good. You need to be proactive. And he says, you need to set the tone in the workplace. You know, sometimes when we go to work, we may not like the way things are going. We may not like the attitudes. We not li- may not like the tone of the office. Well, I want to give you a challenge to you be the one that sets the tone. Somebody set the tone. The reason everybody's grumpy is somebody came in and set the grumpy tone. You could be the one that can completely change the tone in your workplace. And so these are some things to do to set the tone. Number one, he's got foundational truths. And this is for those that are Christians. He says, you are a witness. You are a witness. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. When Jesus was getting ready to ascend to heaven, the last thing he told his disciples, he says, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and uttermost parts of the world. He said, you start right where you live, and then you just spread out. And so that is not just a Sunday morning thing. That is a Sunday through Saturday thing. And so when we go to work on Monday through Friday, we need to understand that we are witnesses in our workplace. So this is what you need to do. Share your story and live out your faith. Share your story and live out your faith. And so wherever you are at work, you just live out your faith. And when you have an opportunity, to share your story. Let me tell them, this is where I've been. This is where I was. I met Christ the Savior, and this is my life now. Just share your story. Number two, you have a ministry of reconciliation. You have a ministry of reconciliation. Now, in the Bible, 
we get this from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 19. I want you to look at this real quick. And he talks about that we become a new creation in Christ. And this is what he says. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That means he restored friendly relations between us and God. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. He entrusted this to us. The whole thing about salvation is the fact that we were sinners separated from God, and because of our sins and a holy God, there's no way we could connect with him. And then Jesus came as God's son, lived the perfect life, took all of our sins on his shoulders, died for our sins. And when he paid the penalty for our sins, he was then buried. Three days later, he was raised from the dead, conquered death, conquered sin. He was reconciling the world to God. And he provides a bridge for us to get to God. We can be adopted into God's family. He says, this is what Christ has done for you. Now, when you receive that message, guess what God says? I'm taking that message and I'm giving it to you and I'm entrusting it to you to tell other people. And so on our workplace, we have a ministry of reconciliation. We get an opportunity to begin to show people and tell people how they can restore friendly relations with the same God that created them. Okay. Number three, pray throughout the day, pray throughout the day. Now I was really impressed with him. What Donnie Smith says, every morning at 6.15, he gets together with three other men in their organization, and they sit down, and they look at the major decisions of the day, and they begin to pray. And they say, we start every day, we just pray over the major decisions, the things are going to happen during this day, and then we pray throughout. How solid would that be? A great foundation. You pray, you begin the day with it, and just pray throughout the day to say, God, what are the things that you can show me that I need to do? So that gets your foundation going, all right? Now, four pillars that behavior should rest upon. Now, everything he says that your behavior, it should rest on these four pillars. Number one, excellence. Excellence. And that is the currency and the authority of the workplace. When you do excellence, that's like giving currency. I mean, when people see you do excellence, they want to do more work with you. When you have excellence, that gives you authority because people will listen to you because they know that you're good at what you do. Donnie Smith says, anybody can be average. Any dead fish can float downstream. (laughs) Anybody can be average. Don't sit there and say, hey, I'm average. Big, big deal. Anybody can do that. But what about being excellent? Now, I tell you, I just have survived uh, selling a house, uh, having a house built and moving into it. And we've got the scars to show it. Okay. So we've, we've done that process and we've dealt with a lot of different people. And we have dealt with people who really don't care anything about excellence. We've got some that really care. We've got some that really don't care. And they say, hey, we know that we can come in, we can do some stuff, we don't have to really put a standard of excellence, and, and if you want us to come back, we can come back and fix it, but most likely a lot of the stuff you'll just let go, and then we'll come out and we'll make more money that way. What a horrible way for some people to do, to do their, their business. But the more we've dealt with so many different people, and to realize that they don't care if they're on time, they don't care if they keep an appointment, they don't care if they do the work right or not, and you've got to stand over their shoulder – And then all of a sudden we work with another group that do it with excellence. It just shines. I'm telling you. It's like Janice and I. We've got in our mind, we've already got a list of people that we would call if something goes wrong. Because we know they'll be there, they'll be on time, 
and, and they'll do excellence in their work. Uh, we, we've got uh, in our backyard, we've got a backyard that we're getting ready to try to transform into something pretty cool. And uh, we're working with Doug Travis. Doug's a member of our church and the landscaper. And, and so he's drawn it out. And we're going to have these big boulders that kind of go back there. And so they got to bring these rocks in. Well, I just thought what you do is you bring rocks in, you just drop one on top of the other and you stack it up and then let's go. These two guys he's got, one guy's got driving a bobcat, bobcat and the other one's overseeing and stepping on all the rocks and pointing them out. You would not believe. Janice and I were mesmerized. We look like we look like ten year old kids sitting in our in our dining room window, staring at these guys as they were turning the rock, setting it up, moving it over, and they never talked. They just hand motion over here. Look a little bit this, and all of a sudden you got this huge bobcat with this huge boulder, and he says, and he moves it two inches. Got it. Then he measures it. It's got it just right. Go get the next one. It was like putting together a jigsaw puzzle. And that excellence, we saw that we were, I mean, we gave them a standing O when they finished. Uh, I mean, when they finished their day, we walked out and we said, you guys are incredible. <laughs> this is the most amazing thing we've seen. See, excellence, when you do excellence in your job, it's going to stand out, okay? People will see that. And then guess what? People are going to want to do more business with you, all right? And as a believer, hey, we should be doing this. Uh, the book of Daniel is a great book about uh it just it just a real quick is that you got Babylon over here they're the bad guys you got Israel over here they're the good guys Babylon came in they overtook Israel when they overtook them they said we're going to take some of the brightest and the best out of Israel and send them over to Babylon and when we put them into Babylon we're going to send them through our schools teach them our philosophy give them our vision statements our purposes and we want to take some of your sharpest guys turn them into good Babylonian leaders and go that route and so they brought him, and one of the guys they brought was a guy named Daniel. He had two friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and all these guys came. And so the first thing they did was they sat him down and said, now you got to eat the food that the king wants you to eat. But see, these guys, they've been through CrossFit, so they knew what they were supposed to eat. And they had, they had Jewish dietary requirements, and they said, nah, you know, we really don't think we should eat the stuff that you're throwing at us. And it's interesting in here because it says Daniel resolved in his heart not to do this, which means he'd already decided just because of who he was, that he was not going to eat this food. And so they did a test, and he said, let me do this. Let, let the four of us eat what we want to eat. You let everybody eat what they want to, and we'll see what happens at the end, okay? And if we lose, then, then we're wrong, and we'll go your route. But, hey, if we win, hey, you come out good. Sure enough, after it was over, they were healthier, they were stronger, they looked better than any of the other folks. And then as the passage goes on, they go through all of this training. And when it comes to the training and all these young men that went through there, it said these four stood out. And in the Bible, it says they were 10 times better than any of the other magicians, satraps, or any other leaders in that area. 10 times better. There was excellence. And it stood out. And Daniel went all the way up to be like number two in there because of excellence. All right, number two is here. Integrity. Who you are is more important than what you do. Who you are is more important than what you do. You've got to lead with integrity. Donnie Smith says that um, everybody has integrity towers. And he was talking about the 9-11 analogy. And he says, you've got your integrity towers, and there are planes that have already taken off to attack your towers. And what you've got to do is you've got to be on the lookout, and you need to shoot those planes down before they hit your towers. We have integrity towers. Now, 
It could be a good picture to keep in your mind because every one of us can still remember where we were, what we saw on TV when those towers went down and, and how demoralizing that was and how sad that was. I want you to keep that in mind. That's your integrity. That's your integrity. And when you sacrifice and compromise your integrity, when those towers come down, you lose your job, you lose your influence, at times you lose your family. You don't want to do that. So integrity is a key. You lose integrity, it's a tough hit, all right? So that's one of my pillars of behavior. I want to have excellence. I want to have integrity. Number three, serving, serving. Be a good listener, and people will share their need with you. Be a good listener, and people will share their need with you. I think you're going to find this out. People are looking for a safe place to go and unpack their lives. There's a lot of hurt going on in our world. There's a lot of hurt. When you just go into your office and look at the cubicles and the desk and everything else around there, there's a lot of pain in every one of those cubicles. People are going through some tough times. And they're looking for someone that they can trust to just unpack with. Because, see, everybody doesn't have real close friends. And, and so people are saying, is there somebody there that will listen to me that I can at least say, I'm going through this struggle? And so ask yourself, what can I do tomorrow to show people that I care? What can I do to show people that I care? Uh, when I worked uh, at a telephone company, I was a, a sales manager, and I had 10 people that worked for me. And there was an individual that I'd known ever since I've, I've hired him with the telephone company. And, uh, and now this guy was working for me. And um, about halfway through our year together, he comes in my office, sits at the desk and at my table uh, right there in front and says, um, I'm going through some real struggles in my, uh, in my home life. And uh, open it up and just began to talk. And uh, I began to share with him. And throughout that year, he came to a point where he made a decision for Christ. His marriage was saved. And so it was a real, it was a real victory. But the great thing was, was, he just felt like his boss could listen to him and that, and that he could go in and talk to him and just be real vulnerable on that. So that's a part of it. Serving. Let that be a part of your pillar over there. Be a good listener for people. And last of all is this, and that is work-life balance. There needs to be a work-life balance. And that means you need to remember to make some deposits to keep the balance. I want you to think about it like a checking account. You got work-life balance. How do you balance between work and the rest of my life. That's hard. Everybody struggles with that. It's never easy. And the reason it's not easy is because there are different seasons of life. Some seasons, everything's good. I can go eight to five. That's good. But there's some seasons that those 40-hour weeks become 60-hour weeks. And you know that. And what we have to do is remember that in our relationships with our family, with our kids and with our spouses, that we need to take put deposits in those accounts because we're constantly going to be taking some withdrawals. And whenever you have a checking account, the last thing you want to do is to be overdrawn. When you're overdrawn, what happens? You have to pay what? Penalties. And they say, hey, you overdrew. You got a $25 or $35, $50, not that I've ever done that, uh, you know, penalty or so on there. And, and, and all of a sudden you get penalty. Hey, when we overdraw on our accounts with our family, there are penalties to be paid. And so we want to make sure that our deposits and our withdrawals match up. And you just need to be balanced and keep that, keep that in your mind. I met with a young pastor yesterday, had lunch with him and, uh, planting a church. He says, give me advice. 
<laughs> and they always say, you're old, you've been around a while, <laughs> give me some advice. And, uh, and that's pretty much what I told him. I said, man, keep your family. I said, that can destroy your ministry and everything if you don't take care of your family. I said, so sit down with your calendar and sit down with your, with your wife and constantly just walk through the days because you're going to have seasons that you're going to have some 60-hour weeks. She just needs to know this. But then at the, on the flip side of that, you need to then make efforts to say, okay, now this next week, we're going to put some pretty strong deposits in our time together. So if you'll give me this week or two weeks, this is a tough season. You know, I, what I find out, most spouses are very understanding if you just explain it to them and say, I'm going to take some, some withdrawals, but I got to put those deposits. And he's got two little kids. I said, hey, I'm not telling you this the way you got to do it. It's just the way I did it. And that is that every Thursday was my day off in Ruston. I had one daughter. It was called Daddy Day. And that was Daddy Day. And on Thursday, Janice could do whatever she wanted to. She'd get out of the house, go whatever. And it's just me and Lauren. I got her, and we're going to just do fun stuff. And it's Daddy Day. Just pour back into your kids and your family. So wherever your family is, just that work-life balance, folks, we really got to attack that and make that a pillar of your life. All right, then the final thing is four essentials. He says you get your, your pillars there, then these are four essentials. You can fail, but you can't fail to execute. You can fail, but you can't fail to execute. So when you look at that, what do you see? First thing I see, you can fail. Take a risk. It's okay if it doesn't work. But the last thing is, I don't want you to fail to execute. Don't just sit back and don't take a risk. Don't sit back and fail to move forward, okay? You can fail, but you can't fail to execute. Always try to move forward. Don't make the excuse, well, you know, I just didn't want to do it. Take the chance. Number two, I love this. This was worth a whole talk just when I heard him say this. Understand that a problem is either a hill, skill, or will. Now, you're going to love this. You're going to take this back to your office, and, and you're going to apply this. Now, you say, what does that mean? Are you ready? When a problem comes up, and let's say you've got an employee that's really struggled, it's either it's a hill, and what that means is it's a tough obstacle, but it's an obstacle that he can overcome. You got that? This is a problem. It's tough. It's a hill, but it's a hill that we can overcome. We just pull a bit more effort, we can get it done. Number two is it could be skill. Now, what skill means is you need to be trained in this. You know, you're running into this problem because you're not trained to handle it. So, okay, so the reason we got a problem with you is that you need some more training. It's a skill issue, and we're going to train you for that. If it's a hill, take it over, get over that obstacle if it's a skill you're going to be trained in it but if it's will then um that means that you're just choosing not to do the work you're just choosing not to push forward and the famous statement that donnie says to all his employees is when they're like that he says you're good and we're going to allow you to go and be good for someone else (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Good job, big guy. You get to be good for someone else. Thank you. And, and that's what it is. So your problem, whenever you got a problem with someone or somebody's looking at something, it's hill, skill, or will, and you can break it down those three areas. Okay. All right. I love it. And then number three, uh, okay, write these down. Don't get too confused. You get to choose your standards for living and standard of living. But never compromise your standards for living for your standard of living. Write it down. I love it when I get all these people look up and go, what? All right, hold on. You get to choose your standards for living. You know, that is, uh, 
your ethical moral compass, okay? What are your standards for living? What are the things that are the kind of like your non-negotiables on this? This is my standards. This is what I live by. If it's honesty, it's integrity, it's uh, I'm going to have a, either a strong marriage, I'm going to be a great dad, a, a, a great mom, what, whatever. You get your standards, and you also get to choose your standard of living, you know? How do you want to live? How big is your house? How much money do you want to make? Those type of things. What kind of car you want to drive? But then it says, never compromise your standards for living for your standard of living. Because almost every person can be placed in a position to where they say, hey, you, we could make even more money if I put in these additional hours into my work, and I bet we could even do even more money so we could get a bigger house and drive more cars and get the beach house or the lake house or whatever else. But in order for me to increase my standard of living, then my standards began to drop down. I don't get any exercise. I don't eat right. I don't spend time with my spouse. I don't spend time with my kids. And sometimes when I get tired over here, I began to compromise my own standards, whether it be fidelity in my marriage or whether it be ethics in how I handle my business. And all of a sudden, I have compromised my standards because I got this huge standard of living that I've increased. Does that, does that make sense? And so make sure that you don't compromise your standards of living for your standard of living. Nothing wrong with increasing, improving your standard of living as long as it matches up with your standards. And last of all is don't miss your for such a time as this day. Don't miss your for such a time as this day. You know, God has created you and God has placed you here. And I think there are certain times in your work world and just in life in general in that you have been put someplace for something very specific to meet some need, to help some person, and you're the one that can do it. And in some instances, you're the only one. At that particular moment, at that place, you're the one. And where this comes from is the story of Esther in the Bible, okay? Uh, you got the Persian Empire. They've got Esther over here. She's a Jewish woman. You've got a man uh, who's a king who just brings in all kind of women to be a part of his harem. And uh, and he got upset at his queen because she talked back to him. So he, he dethroned her. And Esther was the cutest Chick-fil-A of all of them. And so he says, you're going to be the new queen. And uh, But the thing is with the king during that day is you couldn't just walk in and see the king. Couldn't text him, couldn't call him, uh, couldn't do anything unless he raised the scepter and said, hey, bring the queen in. Well, there were some people that didn't like the Jews. A guy by the name of Haman didn't like the Jews, and he came up with some plan to kill them all. So he was going to kill all the Jewish people. Well, Mordecai, a guy who's related to Esther, contacts her, and he says, hey, there's a plan to kill all the Jews, and they've already got a date for when this annihilation is going to take place. You've got to let the king know. And she said, I can't. There's nothing I can do. Unless he calls for me, I can't go in there. And he hadn't been calling for me, so I can't go in there. Mordecai wrote back a note. He's pretty strong on the first day, but he says, hey, if all the Jews are killed, just the fact that you're in the king's court is not going to save you. But here's the thing. He says, and who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Maybe that's why you're in this position. You know what she did? She responded right back to him and says, go tell him I'm going to go to the king, start praying. And guess what? She did what no one was supposed to do, and that is she stepped into his presence. And when she stepped into his presence, amazingly, he gave her favor. And when she told him about this plot that was happening, 
he ended up nipping it in the bud. You say, well, how did he nip it in the bud? Read it in the book of Esther. It's incredible. It's a great story. <laughs> if you like to see people get hung, oh, it's great. So, uh, but, but see, what it was was he said, and for such a time as this, it's you, Esther. You're the only one that can do this. And this is why you're there. This is why you're there. And so for you, wherever you are in your work, in your family, whatever it is, there are going to come moments, and you don't want to miss that day. You do not want to miss that day to where all of a sudden it's going to be, hey, this is why you're here, is for this moment. And that is so cool to know that God can use you through that. See, that's where he wants you to go out. He wants you to set that tone in the workplace. You know, walk out as believers in Christ, go into the workplace, make a difference. Be a light for him and um, take advantage of the day because it could be just for that moment that he needs you to touch those lives in that particular office. Now, let me tell you just a moment about October. The first Tuesday of October, we're going to come back. And Dan Pejos, right over here with Home Instead, who had um, spam flown in from Hawaii just so you could, you could have that. Dan was the uh, not, uh, was uh, not just nominated, he was elected and chosen as the Small Business Person of the Year in 2014. He's got a great business right down the road over here. And so Dan's going to speak next, next month. And he's going to talk to you about leadership and, and just share some of his story. Uh, I'm going to be out of town, so I want you to be here. Bring a lot of friends and just hear a real live guy that's doing it right now and, uh, and come and be a part of it, okay? Listen, I hope you all have a great, great day. We look forward to seeing you in October. Have a great day.